just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson, and you know it's been a heavy week. Uh, the school shootings in Nashville, uh, any school shooting is horrible, evil. Uh, any murder, you know, it, it's awful. But I think for a lot of Christians, especially when you see it in a Christian school, the six lives that were just wrongfully taken, uh, it hurts your heart. Uh, and, and again, I'm not downplaying any, any other uh, murder any other situation like that, they're all really heavy. The question I think a lot of us do ask, especially as Christians, is, you know, where's God in this moment? He, you know, we, we pray for protection for our children. And so when you see children and you see teachers uh, who some stories have told us that, you know, a one school administrator rushed in to protect the children and, and was killed for that, it's very difficult. Uh, that's a hard one to swallow. Well, today's guest on the program has lived through uh, what I, I don't just call a tragedy because it was a crime. Uh, and so we're going to hear from him, and I think it'll be hopefully uh, healing for, for some of us, uh, at least a step in the right direction. Davy Blackburn is my guest, uh, and uh, I'll let him tell his story, uh, but I want you to hear from him. Davy Appreciate you being here. Welcome to Life Today Live. Yeah, thanks, Randy. It's great to be with you guys. I, you know, before we get into the, the details of what you've been through, of the loss and the pain, um, I I just, I can't help but wonder, because if, if I had had something this difficult, and I, I, I almost don't like the word tragedy. It was tragic, yes, mm-hmm. but it was, it was criminal, which yeah, to me is right. a whole additional layer. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you talk about this? I would want to bury it and and never, you know, just maybe honor it, but not. Just, I wouldn't want to talk about it that much. How do you do that? Right, right. Well, you're right. I think that's that would be everybody's inclination. That was mine. Uh, my temptation was to just not talk about it. Um, it's a lot. Of, I don't want to say it's, it would be easier to not talk about it, but it would feel safer. Mm. It wouldn't hurt as bad initially, but. Uh, I, there were a couple things that the, at the beginning of losing my wife, I was forced to talk about it. Mm. And so I don't know if I even had that choice, but now looking back on it, I'm glad that I, I was forced to talk about it. You know, I was a pastor, mm. so I was preaching every single week leading up to losing Amanda. And then I went, I kind of got back in the pulpit two months later, so to speak. Now that seems like a very quick time to get back in the pulpit but for me, it felt like I was um, I was almost taking back territory that the enemy had stolen from me in the spiritual. Mm. And so preaching every week to my congregation who was also hurting because of the loss of Amanda, it, it gave me a platform and an opportunity to process through what I was going through. And the more that I talked about it, for some reason it healed me. Mm. And the more that I saw how other people were being healed, by talking about it and giving them permission to unpack their own pain, it began to bring some purpose and some meaning. Now there's no, in something as heinous and as tragic as 
as losing a loved one, especially in this way, there is no explanation for it, right? So often we're, lo- we're looking to God to give us some explanation for why this has happened in our life yeah. or why is there pain and trauma? This is the theodicy question. Why, if God is a loving God, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and we go down that trail. I think it's important to ask questions. Church oftentimes has told us we shouldn't question God. No, I think we should question God. I think we should take our questions to God. The alternative would be to tuck our questions in the back, in the back pocket and run away from God. So, so God can handle our tough questions, but he doesn't give us explanation often. What yeah. he does do, though, is he gives us something even richer, and that's incarnation. He walks with us in our pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to unpack a lot of those points, but let's back up and fill in the blanks. Tell us, yeah. tell us what happened. So in 2015, I was a pastor and church planter. Uh, with my wife, Amanda, and our 15-month-old son, Weston, and we were pregnant with our second. And a Tuesday morning, it was November 10th, 2015, I left for the gym early on a Tuesday morning, normal Tuesday morning, and I came back and um, walked into my worst nightmare. My uh, my wife was on our living room floor, surrounded by blood. Uh, she was unconscious, but she was breathing very laboriously. Um, when we finally got her to the hospital, after the EMT had been to our house and detectives and, and then the doctors had been able to inspect her, we found that she had three bullet wounds and their suspicion was that um, our home had been broken into. Later, that was, that was confirmed as the investigators um, apprehended the three men who broke into our home and uh, she was caught up in the scuffle. I'm, we, many of us assume and, and even the prosecution assumes that it, she was trying to protect our 15-month-old who was in his crib, hmm. untouched and unharmed the whole time. But we lost Amanda and lost our unborn baby. The, the, the evil in that is, is, is breathtaking. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I, don't, I don't know where you go from there. Um, walk us through some of those early days because I know, I mean, especially— and I, I, I don't presume that anyone who lost a loved one in Nashville is watching, but people who have lost loved right, ones right. just in general, but specifically to a crime, I mean, they're going to yeah. relate. Um, what was, how do you walk out of that darkness? Cause that's dark. For me, you know, and I can't, I can't assume or presume anybody else's experience, but for my experience, it was shock initially. That's it. Mm. You're just absolutely numb and, you cannot believe anything like this has happened. And for the next two weeks before they arrested the men, I had no face to put this crime to. So I was just overwhelmed by, by a very deep, dark sadness and shock. Mm-hmm. Now, I was also on national television on a few outlets, um, mainly because we had a wonderful church that surrounded us at that time, a very large church in South Carolina that essentially kind of sent a team up to help me. They were the church that launched us as a church plant. And they they're, they helped to shield some of the media firestorm that was. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the pieces of advice I got from them was, how would Amanda want this to be played out? Mm-hmm. Would they want the media to focus on the crime or focus on um, Jesus and her life and legacy and what she lived for? And so I felt like I needed to tr- try to drive some of that so that the media would, would hear the gospel. Um, and that the world would hear the gospel because any one of these kinds of circumstances, these are opportunities for us to really peer in and ask some of those really difficult questions and also to see the gospel. So um, 
the first two weeks, it's just a, it's shock trying to, you know, figure out this media firestorm. That's not common to most people's story is having to figure all of that out. But then after the first two weeks, uh, as everything kind of subsided, people started to go back to their life. The funeral was over. Uh, most people describe that this is the case too. I entered into a really deep, dark depression. And some of it was instigated by seeing the men that they arrested. And there was a hatred and a rage that began to fuel inside of me that I did not understand. I'd never experienced anything remotely close to that. Um, and so I became physically sick, which often grief will do that. But grief coupled with rage and anger toward a perpetrator can exacerbate that quite a bit. So for the next probably month, I was, uh, I was physically sick and I didn't understand why. Um, you know, I thought I had the right quote unquote theology to approach this as a pastor, but as far as like the, the practice of really being able to sort through the loss of your best friend and your soulmate and mm. your child to be like that just completely took me out. Well, I, I want to ask because of the justice there, um, mm. we, <laughs> We, we believe God's a just God. We believe in justice. Right. But he, right. it's easy for me to quote, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do not take revenge, yeah. right? Uh, how did that, because I, I know that thought at least crossed your mind if someone didn't say it to you at the time. Yep. How did that strike you in that moment? Because it's got to be yeah. a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had preached sermons on forgiveness, no matter what happened to you leading up to this moment. Mm. And so now I'm confronted with this, reality of, do I actually believe what I was preaching? And part of, part of that, all of that sickness was because there was bitterness that was festering inside of me. And I began to realize that bitterness, um, bitterness really affects you personally. It affects your mind, it affects your heart and affects your body. And it was making me physically sick and, and I wasn't talking about it with anybody. And so bitterness ultimately rots the hand that holds it. And you think that you're doing something to your perpetrators by holding on to unforgiveness. And so, um, you know, Randy, part of my story is when I was eight years old, I was saved at an Easter play in Birmingham, Alabama. And the Easter play was like a, a reenactment of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the pastor said something in that play where he stopped the scene. Jesus was on the cross and he stops the scene, freezes, it, everything freezes. And he goes, he says this, Jesus was murdered for my sin and for your sin. Mm. I was eight years old when I heard that. And that was how I, the gospel penetrated my heart and I received Christ, not realizing that my sin, my own sin had essentially murdered Christ. Mm. And yet then he, he starts the scene back and Jesus lets out this cry on the cross, his father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, when you're in the moment of you've just experienced some kind of heinous perpetration against you, or even, you know, something where your friend betrays you, or it's very difficult to wrap your heart around the idea of forgiveness. Yeah. But what you realize is that forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. And it's a choice to ultimately surrender that vengeance and that justice to God, who is the only perfect judge. Yeah. A lot easier said than done. A lot easier said than done. <laughs> it, it, in the midst of it. Yeah. It is almost impossible. And you can't even tell somebody in those moments, hey, you should forgive. That, that There is no place for you to tell somebody that when they've experienced that kind of a loss. Yeah. The journey is really what, what matters. And hopefully they come to this place where they realize that, that the alternative to releasing that bitterness is what's really going to destroy them. 
And I thought about it more in the spiritual, Randy, to be honest with you. I thought about, okay, Satan essentially won the day on November 10th, right? I mean, death and destruction. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, that was the ultimate moment in my life of, of stealing, killing, and destroying. Hmm. But if I enter into the, the, the anger and the rage that probably was the exact thing that caused those men to inflict that on my family, then I'm just perpetuating that pain and I'm letting Satan win the day again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, so th- that would obviously not be something that someone would need to hear, you know, after, uh, suffering that loss. What, were there anything, anything that was said, uh, that did help you during that time? You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm a huge proponent of just not saying anything, but showing up for people Mm. because there's not really anything that can be said that's going to take away the pain. In fact, we tend to, in these moments, fumble over our words (laughs) when we're trying to help other people and say something really stupid that could potentially be wounding and drive them away away from the gospel. Uh, Very interesting that you say that because a friend of mine uh, is uh, the chaplain for the fire and police department here in a city in the DFW area. And, you know, when there's like a suicide, he's, he's the guy on the scene. And I, and I asked him that, I said, dude, what do you say? And he yeah. goes, there's nothing you can say in that moment. He, goes, he calls it the ministry of presence. He That's goes, it. you just need to be there. So it's, it's really, uh, it's a confirmation of what he's saying to hear it from someone who's been on the other I, side. I don't remember what anybody said to me at the funeral, but I remember who was there. Oh, wow. And I remember who showed up for me. Who, who made a huge effort to show flying across the country to come and be there for me. Mm. And so this is why in the Jewish custom, there was the practice of the, you know, I always have to be careful when I say this, the sitting Shiva, right? <laughs> and it, and it's, it, all you do is you sit with somebody and you mourn with them. Uh. And I think in our American culture, we've, we've lost the art of lament. Um, I actually think it's more than an art. I think it's a it's an instruction. It's a command that we take some time to sit and weep with people, hmm. and slow down from our busyness to say, "Hey, I'm I'm entering into this with you." There is no other better example of being Jesus for somebody than just entering into their pain, and being a compassionate person. Compassion means to suffer with. Yeah, you know, I I really think that's important. Uh, my tendency, uh, if if having not been taught in the right way to to even do that, because we don't know about that, my tendency would be to try to to say something, and yeah, that's that's a train wreck, you know. So yeah. that's it's comforting to know that we can actually do something, and right. there's actually less pressure than we think. Right, uh, it's just right. being there. So and sometimes meeting needs, you know, I mm-hmm. wouldn't advise telling that person who lost someone who just lost somebody, hey, what do you need? Because they don't know. Right. But really assessing from asking other people around who are in that situation, hey, what can I do? What, what kind of need can I meet? Yeah. That's a very practical and tangible way to help someone who has just experienced loss. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've seen that before. I've seen people go over and clean the house. Obviously, we know the meal train and things like yeah. that, um, doing their laundry, you know, taking right. care if they have a pool or something, you know, just those, those types of things. If they have kids, helping take the kids to school right. or whatever, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot there, and... and that is certainly healthy, and we need to recapture that art as the church. And a lot of churches are actually very good at that. Yeah. Um, I want to move a little further in your story because yeah, right. some crazy things happened in the aftermath. Um, yeah, you're married again. 
right? Uh, right. That story is just mind blowing. It's pretty wild. That's <laughs> pretty wild. Walk us through some of that. Well, you know the the gist of it, and I share a lot more on the broadcast. Folks can watch in a few weeks. But the gist of it is the woman that first caught my attention happened to be her stepdad is the chaplain for our prison system or one of the chaplains for our prison system. He happened to be the one that was assigned to the three men that killed my wife. Wow. And you did, you did not know that when you met her. I did not know that when I met her, she actually avoided me for several months. (laughs) She was attending my church, but she did not want to get entangled with my story or my situation at all. She just really enjoyed the community of our church and she may have liked the preaching a little bit, I guess, but um, you know, and then I asked her a question because I was so intrigued by her. I asked her about herself and she ten- she ended up telling me that. Mm. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? And to me at the moment, I was I was finishing the manuscript of my book to turn it into publishers. And I was asking God, what is the, what is a redemptive side of my story? My book's called Nothing is Wasted. Mm. How is nothing wasted right now? I'm just believing it in faith. And God was beginning to show me some of those things. And one of those key elements was that not only was he going to bring back some things, right? And and you can't ever replace anybody who's been lost, but he was going to restore some things in my life. And he was going to bless me uh, in some very, very like tangible ways with more kids and stuff in the, in the future. Um, but he was also going to lead me on a path that he was going to invite me to begin to engage with my perpetrators on a deeper level for the sake of the gospel. Well, yeah. What did that look like? Well, so far it's, yeah, so far it's only looked like me engaging with them during the trial processes, Mm. which just wrapped up this past September. Oh, wow. So seven years later, we finally have, quote unquote, justice on earth here. Um, But it it means me looking at them and sharing with them that I have chosen to forgive them. Wow. And now it means I believe, and I I know this sounds crazy when I I say it out loud, believe me, I'm not... I understand, but this has been a seven-year journey for me. Um, so, but now I believe that God is is leading me to visit at least two of these men in prison. What are they in prison for life? Or I, I wouldn't. The shooter is essentially the shooter received eighty-six years, and I mean he won't make it out. But the other two accomplices, they took plea agreements to testify against the shooter during the trial. So they had a lessening of their sentence. Okay. Is, is, are they receptive to you? Do they not want anything to do with you? What's sort of their... So that's why I said two of the three, because I think two of them, uh, discerning through the trial process, I think two of them, the two accomplices are receptive. Yeah. I don't believe the shooter is. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned the book. I want to ask just because... It's a, people be interested because it's not out yet, right? <laughs> it's been a journey. No, yeah. yeah, it's not quite out yet. In fact, the publishers uh, want me to write a few extra chapters because I turned it into our publisher in 2017. Oh, yeah. Okay. Before any of all this like new stuff has materialized. Yeah. And so there's so much more in the story that really does point to how God doesn't waste our pain. All right. So just note for people who are like, Oh, I, I want to read that book. You you can, just not yet. Um, <laughs> not yet. And <laughs> we'll you, get it out co- there to you. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, let me show you a couple of websites real quick. Um, this, well, let's see which one do I have. Uh, com is where you can go to find out more about Davy. If you want to contact him, uh, you, you can do that through that. He does speak in places, so you can, yeah. uh, you can do that there. And then he's got another one that is... 
There it is. Nothingiswasted.com. And that's the ministry website. Uh, that's right. He's got a devotional. Uh, if for anybody who's walking through this kind of thing, the short path to it is pain to purpose devo.com, but you can also find it uh, by clicking through the menu there at nothingiswasted.com. I, I just I want to put those resources out there because, you know, peop, you never know when someone's going to watch this. It could be right. a year or two right. from now, but they've gone, you know, they're, they're in this similar situation where they're trying to figure things out. Um, yeah. What what have you learned through this process that you, you know, you wouldn't have really learned any other way. Oh gosh. I mean, we could talk for hours about that, right? <laughs> this is the classroom of pain. This yeah. is where God has our attention, where we actually learn more about anything and we grow the most in our times of pain in our valley. I think I learned a lot about how to empathize with people who are in pain mm. and not just um, sweep it under the rug. That's one of the things we help people with now. Uh, we help churches, particularly Randy, to create environments where people can unpack their pain in the church. We've got a course called Pain to Purpose that we say it's like the Financial Peace University of Pain and Trauma. <laughs> it's like <laughs> just a, a course that churches can utilize to have those kinds of healing conversations within the church. You know, counseling is wonderful. It's amazing, right? But not everybody can afford counseling and not everybody goes to the counselors that pastors refer to. There's a, there's a big drop off there. So we wanna equip churches to be able to have those conversations there in their church. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned is to um, to be attuned to the pain of this world. I would not have been attuned to people's pain. Now I get in Uber cars, right, Uber driver, and I'm asking them, hey, how are you? Tell me, and I'm asking questions, trying to find out their pain points mm -hmm. and what's going on in their life. And I would have never listened. I would, I would have never reflected or empathized because I would have been on to my own thing. Um, yeah. But now it's just opened my eyes up to there's so much pain and, and there's so many people that need the comfort, the hope of Jesus. Mm -hmm. mm. What did you learn about God? I learned that God is not a God of my expectations. You know, trauma tends to cause you to um, be disoriented on your belief of God, of yourself, and of the world. And if you journey with the Lord in trauma, what will happen is he will begin to show you who he really is. That he's, that he's a far greater loving father than you could ever have imagined. That he really, really loves his kids and he wants good gifts for his kids. And yet he does, he is not a God of our expectations. That things, you know, he's not going to intervene in our life to prevent things from happening necessarily. But he's so good in intervening to produce something out of it. Hmm. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things I had to, you know, there's so much negotiation that happens with God and all of this stuff where you go, I thought that, you know, and how could you and why? And you start to realize, wait, okay, God is not this, this, this thing or person that I've put in a box to essentially, you know, um, do what I want him to do in my life. But as I follow after him, his plans for my life, both his, uh, well, his redemptive plan for my life is far greater than what I could have ever asked or imagined. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's still tough. I mean, this, that, that, you know, it's the classic, the problem of pain, right? C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book on it. Uh, yep. and I, I interviewed some parents who lost a child at Sandy Hook. Uh, and they said that, that they never got through the, you know, the question of why, yeah. uh, yeah. there's, there's no answer there. 
Um, no answer. But when they started asking what now, uh, and another other people who have faced that kind of loss have said, when I started asking, you know, who, who are you, God? Right. That that's when they started to find even some peace in that storm. Uh, right. Even if there's no answer to the to the why, you still can't make sense of the yeah. the the evil that that you've been touched by. Um, right. There's just there's some there's something going on that I don't think we fully understand it. You know, who can know the mind of God? You know, that's exactly ask, right. Right. Well, but yet he yeah. promises to be there. And that's the that's right. wild thing. And he's the only religious figure, anything of all the other major religions of the world, the only religious figure that actually entered into our pain and suffering yeah. to walk with us. We, have a, we serve a high priest who can be empathetic in our situation. And I believe that God is, and I believe the God of the Bible, it shows us that he is more broken and hurt over all of the evil in the world and the evil that befalls our life than even we are. Hmm. And I think if we can reframe our perspective and see, okay, there's a God that is for us that is hurting and broken. And although he may, be, may not be doing this in our time frame, he is ultimately going to set everything right, wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to make, as, as J.R.R. Tolkien said, right? And C.S. Lewis later borrowed, he's going to make everything sad untrue. Hmm. And so we just have to trust him in his time. It's not on our time frame. And so we get impatient with God. We get, and, but God's going to do it perfectly. And ultimately... God makes all things beautiful in his time. And so that is, it. while we're in the already not yet right now, this moment where we're going, okay, but I don't see it. I'm not sure how we have to, there's a trust exercise with the Lord and he'll give us little glimpses and we'll be able to see little foretastes of heaven and foretastes of this finally putting things back together and making things right. Hmm. But those are only little tastes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hope this doesn't sound inappropriate, but I mean, I, I think if we really fully understood heaven, we'd all be we'd all be suicidal because we'd want to get there. Right? You're right. That was one of the things that ministered to my heart the most was reading Randy Alcorn's book Heaven, imagining Amanda's life now, imagining those of us those who have gone before us, and then thinking about even like what's the new heaven and the new earth going to be like, and oh man, and when we so that's why scripture it's comforting to hear. This light and momentary affliction, this light and momentary affliction, is producing for us or achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs the former. Yeah, and really, you gotta you gotta hold to that hope, um, man. I could keep going, uh, but I'll point people, you know, to your website, um, nothingiswasted.com. Uh, there's some good resources there if you're hurting, if you're going through, you know, or you know someone who's going through the sort of pain that that Davy's dealt with. Um, Check out those resources. We're, I, I want to give you the last word. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. What What do you want to say? Do you want to address people who are going through it, or is there just some sort of? Yeah, I, I think you, you take it. I would. I would say if you are going through a deep pain right now, a deep trauma, I want you to know that you're not alone. One of the one of the greatest uh, tricks or lies of the enemy is to think that you're alone, that nobody understands and nobody cares about what you're going through. We care. And we may not fully understand what you're going through, but I do know someone who does and that's Jesus. And so if we can be some kind of a help to you in your journey at nothing is wasted, we would love to be that. But I want you to know that you are not alone. Call out to the Lord. He will meet you in your distress. That's good. 
That's a good, that's the kind of encouragement we need to hear. Dave, thank you. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I hope, thank you guys. How's the church doing these days? Well, I actually stepped away from the church and I'm traveling and speaking full time. Oh, wow. So I do nothing as Wasted Ministries full time. We help churches and equip churches and get them launched with pain to purpose. That's what I get to do with my time every day. Wow. Well, and if anybody wants to call on uh, Davey, you can go to DaveyBlackburn.com or NothingIsWasted.com and, and check that out. Davey, thank you again so much. So, so tough, but I think it's healthy to to talk through it and to work through it and be able to be blessed by some of the things you have learned having walked through it. Uh, it's yeah. just, it's a real, it's a, it is a tough ministry, but it is an important yeah. ministry. So thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. Thank you guys. Appreciate all you guys out there watching. Uh, if, if you're catching this and you know someone needs to hear it, please do forward it. Uh, to encourage them, maybe, hopefully. Uh, and if you need to be present for somebody, just be present. We, we can all do that. Appreciate you watching. Uh, hit like, follow, subscribe if you haven't done that. Come back. We've got more encouragement for you here on Life Today Live.